0: Thank you, Father, for your presence. We thank you for your life. We thank you that you redeem, and you restore to your nature to foresee every evil and establish us in such a way that we can no longer be moved because of your great eternal plan, your power that's been released. magnify your glory and your purposes that you have in the earth and our lives as they exist to bring glory to you. Father, I would just pray a blessing upon each person here that they would hear, that I would speak, and that we would hear from the same spirit of truth that ushers from the throne of God ask for your grace upon this body we pray Father for the things that we've grown for the things that we've laid on our faces for we come to the full manifest of reality the hearts of your people Father we begin to beat for you again and not for this world let our focus and our attention be back on you and as we see you the the chains and the bondage of religion and lies the love of this life and the things that choke out our fruit would be removed. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you administer the hearts of your people today. The words would not be mine, that your heart would be established and released. Thank you that you are a good father. We pray believing, we pray loving, and we pray in your name, the powerful name of Jesus. up those who are hey how are you it's good to see you we're gonna pray for those who are sick um, and not with us today and those who are away so lift them up before the lord this week god has a plan amen god has a plan the authority of the plan of god is found in the timing of the lord We have got to wait for certain things to be established, but certain things we don't have to wait for. You understand what I'm saying? So I want you to understand there's a plan. There's a plan for your life. The thing that you're involved with right now, the circumstances, the trials, the difficulties, they're not some sort of random string of haphazard events that just happen to fall in your lap and you're trying to make sense of them with the religious spirit. Everything that's going on in your life right now, the position, the posture, the the geographical location, the job in which you work, the family struggles, everything that's happening right now is for a purpose. And I want you to understand that this morning before I even begin. Because if we begin to look at our life as some sort of random event of chaos, then the only relationship we're going to have with God is trying to beg him to come into that chaos and fix it. When sometimes chaos has to be arrested and dominated. It has to be restored and recreated. When God created the earth, there was chaos in existence. He didn't just stop chaos. He brought his order and his life. You with me? He brought order to the chaos. He brought an established plan designed before the foundation of the world into that existence to bring peace you have to bring to bring peace to chaos you have to bring a life from another realm into the life that's existing in chaos you cannot create peace within chaos chaos exists because it doesn't have rest in its in its midst so it takes something else coming in that's greater than the chaos to subdue it you with me This is how God created the earth. It was without form. It was void. It was chaos. There was no order. There was no life. But life came in and brought order and restoration because there was, is, and always will be a plan. If we begin to order our life by the chaos that's going on and the difficulties that are happening, we're never going to see the plan that God always intended because we're going to be blind to life and we're going to be open to chaos. What you see is is what you become like. What you behold is what you eventually become like. Your character is formed by what you watch, what you see, what you believe, what you give attention to. If you are... Uh, constantly depressed and you are constantly giving yourself to that depression and, to believe, and believing that depression and, and, and believing the, the circumstances that are given to that depression and why that depression is there, then you are going to be, in character and in nature, a naturally depressed person. And it doesn't matter how much life is going on around you, you will respond with depression. You will respond with melancholy. You will respond with something that's opposite to the circumstances around you because it's what you've become. Does that make sense? God wants us to be whole and restored, but sometimes in order for us to to come to restoration, He has to allow some separation. Separation sometimes is part of the plan of God. But if your vision is only on the separation, you're never going to see the restoration. Restoration. So in other words, the chaos is part of the plan. But if you get caught up in the chaos, you're never going to see part two, the sequel. You're never going to see the end result of why he allowed the separation in the first place. You think I might be rambling this morning, but I'm going to go to scripture and I'm going to prove what I'm talking about because it's there. And I want you to see a principle because we've been talking about sonship, which is the intention of God himself. And I don't want to break that vein because this is where we're on and I, I feel bad for those who aren't here this morning. They need this as much as you do. We all need this. There's a plan for your life. And you have to understand this plan predated your depression. This plan predated all the things that are going on in your life that you hate. This plan predated your sickness and the disease and the marital issues and the child issues and all of the faults and mistakes and failures that you've made. This plan has been established before the beginning of time. God is waiting, in many senses, on us to believe the power of resurrection so that we can go through the cross. It's not possible to go through a cross without a vision of resurrection. If you don't see what comes after the pain, the pain will swallow you and you'll only exist in pain. It will become your definitive uh, reason for living. You'll, be, you'll, you'll become a spiritual hypochondriac. The only thing you'll see is sickness and death and, and disease everywhere you go, in you and in everybody else, and you'll only have the prophetic utterance of being able to call out what's wrong and never be able to give what's right because you don't see the resurrected process of the plan. You only see the pain of it. This is why the disciples in the pre-cross understanding of Jesus were depressed after they had. how, How could you be depressed when God came to visit and not only just came to visit, but chose you as being one of the original 12 disciples and you're a nobody, you're nothing. And he came down and made a new tribe from your life. And then all of a sudden, the cross happens and they miss the entire point of his being here because their focus was on the pain and the death. It wasn't on who he was in the midst of the pain and the death. Does that make sense to you? So, what Jesus do you worship? Do you worship the one that's only able to touch you during things when things are good? Or do you worship the one that has a plan in the midst of the pain and the death that you're going through? See, authority has been given to us all power has been given us to trample on serpents and scorpions the problem is is that we're letting serpents and scorpions trample on us you go back to the garden and and you read what happened that was a snake that deceived Eve right we're supposed to trample on them how did Jesus crush the head of the enemy through the cross you with me he crushed the head of the enemy through the cross. Sons who live a crucified life maintain their authority over this life. But when we don't live a crucified life and we don't understand the plan and we get caught up in the cross and the pain, we don't believe, then what happens is the serpents and scorpions begin to, to rule over us. And the authority power is transferred back to the Adamic nature because what, what we believe is what is empowered to us. Are you with me? You guys are looking at me like I'm weird. Well, I know I am, but just humor me, okay? I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to show you a principle here, because you, can, you, you are not a victim. Let me just say that. All right. Come on, come on. How many times this week, this month, this year, have you felt like a victim? You know why you feel like a victim? Because you don't believe you have the power over the circumstances victimizing you. So therefore, your identity becomes... The victimization becomes a circumstance. You feel like a victim because you don't feel powerful. You don't feel because you believe the opposite. You're not a victim. Jesus was not a victim of the cross. He willingly embraced it. Jesus did not live with a victim mentality. So you tell me why you get the authority to live as a victim with a victim mentality. This is why I constantly harp on certain things that people disagree with me on. Because I don't believe God created you with deficits. Do I believe that there's certain physical things that we have to go through and, and deal with? Yes, but I don't believe they should, they should alter our, our, our nature and our character. I don't believe God created you with a def- deficiency. I don't believe anybody in the, in the world, I don't agree with that. I don't care if you don't agree with it. Show me in the Bible where I'm wrong, and I'll repent. You understand what I'm saying? Because I'm jealous for the identity that God really gave you, not the one you created for yourself. Yes. God will touch the identity you create, but he won't inhabit it. Which puts us in victim mentality. When, 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 we, when we feel like we're subjugated by a principality or a power or a darkness or a situation, then we feel like we have to pray through, through a beggarly mentality to get God to come and visit and touch our life. When God is actually wanting us to come up into his life and that his life is our nature, and then those things no longer have authority over us because we refuse to believe them. You with me? There's a plan. Just because the devil forces you into a corner doesn't mean you're about to lose. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The more in a corner he pushes you, the more threatened he is by resurrection because it's coming. The darker it gets, the closer it is to resurrection. If chaos is coming to your life, it's because he's trying one last time to get you to believe darkness so that you don't receive your resurrection. Your identity as a son is in resurrection, not crucifixion. Crucifixion is just the doorway in which we get there, but resurrection is the identity in which we live once we're there. You understand that? You with me? The cross is the insignia of Old Testament reality. The cross happened, it finalized the Old Testament. To come into the New Testament, you have to be filled with the Spirit, which is a new covenant. So the New Testament reality is the tongue of fire, it's not the cross. The cross just gets you to the new reality. You with me? Because it crucifies the thing that can't come into the new covenant. The cross gets rid of what you were never supposed to be in the first place. But yet we get hung up on the cross experience. The cross experience is painful. It's difficult. It it looks like somebody oppressing you. It looks like a a spouse or a, a child or a job or a boss or a deficiency pressing on you. A failure, some issue you can't come up into and be good enough in just pressing on you. That's a cross type experience. And you have to go through that and you have to come to God saying, Whatever is in me that's not of you in this area, let it die. I shouldn't feel this way. I should be able to love, but I can't. But you do whatever you want to do in me and I'll come out the other side looking like your son because that's what I believe. The cross is a temporary issue, resurrection is eternal. You with me? So why are we bogged down by a temporary reality when eternity is really our main identity? So you should walk around knowing that there is nothing that can subjugate you except the Lord. Nothing can control you. Nothing can manipulate you. Nothing can move you except the Holy Spirit. And if you're moved by anything else, you've lost sight of your reality. Depression can only come when you've lost sight of hope. That's a really good point, Chad. I'll amen for you. Depression only comes when you lose sight of hope. Amen. You've, you, let me say it this way. You willingly relinquish your hope and therefore depression enters the void. Because like it or not, you might think you're in control, but you're not. You were meant to be possessed. You get to decide what possesses you. Heaven or hell. There's no in between. You were made to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. What did the cross do? It brought forth the reality of a people who were possessed by God. Go read Acts chapter 2. It wasn't an event It was the establishment of an identity. God filling his people. Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could only rest on people. He couldn't reside in them. But the cross brought forth a reality where God now takes up his residence inside of us. We are the house. What do you fill the house of God with? Your justification, your depression, those aren't his. Somebody tell me that you think you actually believe God is is depressed. I don't see God having to pop pills every morning just to be able to make it through the day. Is there a time frame for that? I'm sure there's probably a time frame for that where we need to get some things right. But then there's a time frame where we fully walk in resurrection life. Otherwise, you can't call him a healer. You, you can't believe him as healer. If you don't believe that you were created to be able to exist without those things, then you cannot literally call God healer, and that's one of his names, because you don't believe he he's, has the power to heal you. Or maybe you do, and you just don't think you're worthy of enough. Either way, you don't receive. You with me? You have faith, you're just giving it to the wrong entity. You're believing the devil instead of the Lord. You're believing your circumstances. You're believing your failure. You're believing your sin. Let me ask, just ask you a quick question. How many of you guys at any point in your spiritual life have been really sidetracked, really derailed by some sort of moral failure in your life that you created, you did in your life? And, and the more you looked at that, the more you've, you you've felt unworthy of the love of God. And the more you looked at that, the more you felt like you were a failure and that God could never even take you back. Anybody? anybody? Am I the only one in the room? Because you believe in that moment the power of sin, but not the plan of God. You ready for for me to get into this? Because what I'm going to share with you this morning is absolutely powerful. Whether I deliver it powerfully or not, it's still powerful. Ephesians 1 verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Do you realize that the blessing is not contingent upon you? It's contingent upon Him. That's a good thing. Because if it was contingent upon you, some days you have it, some days you don't. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? It's always God's intention from the beginning of time, it's always God's intention. The plan, the intention, the ultimate plan that I was talking about always has been that we share in and inherit what is his. That's always been the plan. What good father doesn't want to leave an inheritance for their children? Fathers that don't want to leave an inheritance for their children are selfish. They're not true fathers. They're on the heart of Father. God's ultimate plan was to leave us an inheritance. There's a problem, though, now. See, the problem is that we screwed it up. But see, there's a plan. And we get caught up in the screw-up instead of the plan. So I'm going to show you this. This is, this is amazing to me. He has blessed us with, it, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So, so, so let me ask you this before I go to the next verse. Okay. How does an all-wise God who knows everything, like, I've asked myself this question before, like, why would God even create us if he knew we were going to fall away? Like, why would he do that? But it makes sense when you read it in the light of scripture. It makes total sense. And it doesn't make sense to us because we only see our falling away and not his plan. And we think our falling away is greater than his plan. Which is why you've gotten to a spiritual funk at some point in your life because you think your sin was greater than his redemptive power. Like somehow you, like worthiness is somehow a part of it. Who's worthy? There was no one worthy. Just Jesus. So how does a God, who's, who's an all-wise God, grant an inheritance, an eternal inheritance? Listen to this. How does an all-wise God... God's got a predicament here. Okay, picture. There's no earth. There's no heavens. There. I mean, it's just God, Holy Spirit... Jesus, some angels, and I'll stop there. But nonetheless, they're there. There's nothing else. How does he take the the vast riches of everything he has? Streets paved with gold, crystal seas, all of the storehouses of heaven. How does he figure out how to give that to a temporal people who are going to lose it? See, God wants to expand himself and create sons. He wants a family. But how does he, his main heart is to share what he has and who he is with who we are. But how does he do that knowing we're going to mess it up? See, we think Jesus had to come as a reaction to our sin. You think that because you don't know the plan. And you've been told that by religious people who don't know the plan. Jesus, God never reacts. Ever. He always responds. His response comes from a well laid out plan. You think that your sin was so bad and that we screwed up so bad and Adam was so messed up that God had to like change his ability like oh shoot like I'm losing the game of chess and now I have to come up with a different strategy but that's how we view it because if you didn't view it that way you would never slip into depression when you fell into sin because in that moment you really believe that your sin is greater than his love for you otherwise you would have got up turned around walked away and never went back to it true or not You believe the power of sin in your life. Or you believe the power of sin in somebody else's life. Sometimes it's, some people are really hard to believe for. Because everything they do, everything they speak, everything they say, everything they live, every ounce of their character bleeds darkness. And every time they turn around, they're creating chaos and violence. And it's just, it's, it's difficult to believe for those people because, you know why? Because we haven't found the heart of God for them. Right. Come on. We've only seen the power of sin in them. And then we feel it's our job to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we take the Holy Spirit's job upon ourselves and we wonder why it doesn't work. Because you're not the Holy Spirit. You don't get to convict of sin. You don't get to tell people who are wrong. In fact, in Scripture, the only time uh, in in the New Testament reality where where it talks about bringing forth that major rebuke is from authorities only, not from parishioners. It's not your job to sit here and poke poke at everybody in the congregation. It's not your job to poke at your husband or your wife. Because when you start poking at the person, you believe the power of the sin in the person. It's really quiet here. I'm thinking it's because maybe you're convicted. I'm hoping. Listen, if you're, if you're prodding somebody in your life because you see sin in them, it's not going to bring about resurrection in them. If that was the case, the law would have been good enough. It takes a cross to rid people of a nature... That's causing them to live like hell. And what you're wanting from them, they can't give you. They can't give you resurrection life in your marriage because they've never been through a cross. Telling them why they need to go through the cross is not going to help them. They've got to fall in love with the man on the cross before they're going to embrace the cross. If they don't love the man on the cross, they're not going to go where he goes. You know why Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me? You know why he says that? Because he believes in those who follow him, love him. Nobody in their right mind would take up a cross unless they love the man carrying it. Because the only thing that happens on a cross is you lose the thing that you were never meant to be. The cross can only kill the things you never wanted to have in your life anyway. You understand what I'm saying? So how does an all-wise God give us an inheritance that he knows we're going to lose? If you had had multi-millions of dollars and you had a drug addict's son, and you were going to leave that inheritance to your son, but you knew that if you left that inheritance to them, they would completely squander it and waste it, and you would lose your son, how do you go about getting that inheritance that you desperately want to give them to them in such a way where you don't lose the inheritance or them? How do you do that? That was God's predicament. You guys understand he's thought about this eternal past before he ever created this whole thing? He had eons backwards to think about how to work what we call life. So Paul tells us here, he says, okay, so, so what we saw as loss, God saw as the only way to secure for us an inheritance we could never lose. What we saw as loss, what we saw as darkness, what we saw as sin, God saw as the only way to secure for us an inheritance we could never lose. See, in the kingdom, loss is gain. Isn't it? Yes. With me? Yes. This statement's going to make sense here in a second. Okay, verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him. Listen to this. He chose us in him. Not by him. He chose us what? In him. Tell me how safe that is. He chose us in him before what? Before your depression. Before your anxiety, before your sin, before your bad spouse, before your bad kids, before your bad life, before your bad marriage, before your bad drug addiction, before your bad this, before your bad that. In him, he chose you before the foundation of the world. Why are, you, why are we so upset and why are we so afraid? Because we believe the power of sin. We believe the power of our shortcomings. We believe we're not good enough, that we're going to fail God. or He do that. Why don't you believe what he knew instead of what you think you've become? He's chosen us before the foundation of the world. Why? That we would be holy and without blame before him in love. How is that possible? Without him, it's not. So in other words, he chose us to be in him holy without blame and love. But before we could be holy, we had to be unholy. See, listen. Okay, let me go on before I, before I make this point. All right. Verse 5. This is the, this is the kicker. Are you with me? This is, what Paul's, this is how Paul opens his gospel to Ephesians, his, his epistle to Ephesians. This is how he opens it. Everything else past this is gold. I mean, this is like foundation. Everything else past this is awesome. We did a series on verse by verse in Ephesians. It's online. You can go look at it. Having predestined us unto the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the pleasure of his goodwill. That verse determines the plan. Having predestined, preordained, pre-established. Pre-understood us to be the adoption as sons. So what was the plan? The plan was never perfect sons. The plan was never humanity perfected. The plan was not Adam and Eve living on this life without sin. Do you realize that if it wasn't them, it would have been somebody else? And we're trying to go back to a a garden-type Christianity where we're flawless. If it wouldn't have been them, it would have been you. You would have eaten that fruit. I would have eaten that fruit. We would have eaten that fruit. The goal was never perfect humanity. Because God knew we were going to lose it. So the goal here was adoption. The plan was adoption. Adoption. You can't adopt a son that's yours. I'm sorry, I can't legally adopt my children. Do you understand this? But I can adopt somebody else's children. So do you understand what I'm saying here? When we when Adam was born, he was born a son. God's son. You with me? When he sinned, he ceased to be a son. The Bible even says in John 8, I believe it says, Jesus looks at the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. In other words, you're children of Satan. Everybody says, oh, we're all God's children. That is not true. That's a stupid religious statement that everybody needs to stop saying. No, we're all made in the image of God, yes. But we're not all God's children. There are people in church who have been touched by God who are not born again, and they are sons of Satan because they never surrendered to the new nature of Christ. The only way you can be a true son of God in the new nature is to accept the cross, get rid of your life and believe the plan and come into the full power of the Holy Spirit possessing you. Anything else? It's just a cheap fabrication of what you're attempting to be like a son of God, but you can never come up to it because you don't have the ability to, because your vision is focused on something other than him. You may have seed in your life. You may have sat in church long enough to where the word came out and landed in your heart and began to grow, but the cares of this world choked it out, and you have no fruit showing the sonship of God in your life. You care more about the money and the time and the things you do and your vacations. and The gospel means nothing to you outside of just getting you saved cares of this life choke out that seed inside of you. But the plan, the plan was adoption. In other words, God had to lose us so that he could eternally gain us. Do you get that? This was the plan. Your sin was part of the plan. But yet it's the thing that keeps you away from him because you don't feel worthy or you don't feel whatever it might be. Do you realize that your spouse's sin, your children's sin, it's part of the plan? But you know what we see? The sin. And we call ourselves prophets. No, prophets see resurrection. That's what they see. how do you know that? Because you go read any Old Testament prophet, and even though they hammered on sin for a long period of time, God told them in the very end of all of their books of prophecy, every one of them, he says, now I want you to switch your word. I want you to speak about resurrection. I want you to speak about restoration. Jeremiah, I want you to go to buy a field. Why would you buy a field in a city that's about to get taken over by the enemy and it's no longer going to be in your inheritance? Why? Because there's going to be a return of your children. You ever read that where God tells Jeremiah to buy a field? You think, why is he, why, because, why would you buy a field if if we knew China was about to take over America completely, completely, every square inch, completely, and God told us prophetically it was going to happen, and he says, but I want you to buy some land. Why would I do that? Because your children are going to return, you're going to have an inheritance. Man, you guys are quiet. What's the plan? you got to lose something before you can adopt it. He lost us, and he knew he was going to lose us. But why did that happen? Because, see, the, the plan was for us to never lose our inheritance. Let me give you the kicker that I'll say that I was saving toward the end, but I've said this before. Do you realize that you can't disinherit an adopted son? But you can disinherit. A legally born son. You understand that? In other words, God had to lose us so he could give us something we would never lose again. It was better in the plan of God for you to fall away so that he could redeem you and bring you back and give you an inheritance that you could never lose again. This is the plan. Adoption was the plan of God for your life. To be adopted, you had to be estranged. You had to be separated. He knew you were going to choose something other than him, but he loved you so much that he secured for you your inheritance, even though you chose something other than him. And the fact is that that you chose something other than him brought you to your inheritance. This is the power of God. If God can work in this kind of power with sin, what can he do with righteousness? Having predestined us to be the adopted of children by Jesus Christ in himself, to himself, according to his good pleasure of his will. So that God knew that he had to lose us to eternally gain us. Next time you see somebody who's in sin and they're being the demon in your life, you can just look at them and say, it's all part of the plan. Because at some point, Jesus might walk up to you and say, you know that situation you've been worried about? Be it unto you according to your faith. And in that moment, what are you believing Well, they're never going to come back because they keep doing this and they keep doing that and they keep doing this and they keep doing that. What about what God keeps doing called intercession? Begging Father for that heart and that soul at the right hand of God. Are you praying with Him or are you fighting the prayers He's praying for them? See, the will of God was never perfect humanity. The will of God was never perfection for your life. God doesn't want you to be perfect. He wants you to be adopted. Because when he adopts you, he never loses you. He won't disinherit you. Do you realize it's the choice of the person to adopt? It's not the choice of the child. You don't get to choose to be adopted. Somebody comes in and says, I want them. Well, even after everything they've done to you, yes. And I want to give them my inheritance. And I want to adopt them so they don't lose that inheritance. The love of God. So much, even it's so much bigger than even the cross. The cross was just to get you into the inheritance, so that you could understand the power of the love of God. The cross was the necessary sacrifice to be able to get you to a posture where you could begin to know the love of God. People say, well, the love of God, the cross showed the love of God. The cross was the indicator in which he had to apply something to get you to begin to know what love was. Otherwise, if the cross was it, Paul would have never played, prayed, which is in connection with this book in Ephesians 3, that you might know the love of God, which passes the ability to understand. If the cross was it, then he would have never prayed that prayer. The cross now opens the door to the power of the love of God. Why? Because the power of the love of God is seen when he showers his inheritance through in and through us. And he says he's given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment to our inheritance. This is why the cross opened up the inheritance to the sons. In Acts chapter 2, the sign of the coming of the Holy Spirit was God saying, this is your inheritance. What I've been waiting to give you all along. And it took you falling away. and It took you walking away from me to be able to give it to you. I'll prove it again. I'll prove it in a deeper way here in a second. That what I'm saying is true. See, the plan before we were ever created was to adopt us. I'm going to create a children I'm going to have to adopt, and I'm going to lose. In order to give us an inheritance that was secure, we first had to lose what was given so that He could gain it back in the frame of a human, thereby forever holding what He always desired to freely give us. So God knew our frailty, He was never afraid of our weakness. The plan was to redeem, not to create perfection. Because if he created perfection, there was there would always be a chance. There would always be a chance that he could lose it. If Adam had never sinned and everybody up until now had never sinned, there would always be that chance. There would always be that chance somebody's going to mess it up for everybody. Why? Because God gives humanity collective authority. You don't think your life affects other people? Then you go talk to Adam and Eve. You think you can do what you want and not affect the people in your life and your kids and your grandkids? You're sowing seed right now. You don't even know what it's going to do to you. 20 years from now, you're going to be sitting across from somebody in a pastor's office weeping, saying, I don't know what went wrong. It's stuff you did 20 years ago. Ask me how I know that. That's not the plan of God. The plan of God is to use what went wrong so that he can begin to plant new life. Not to stay planting darkness. Understand, the will of God is not perfect humanity. It's adopted humanity. Adopted humanity. The power of adoption is the power of sons. You guys know the verse that we'll get to in Romans where it says, you were adopted by what? The Spirit of God. By the inheritance of God. So, a biological son can, can be disinherited, but a, an adopted son cannot. All right. So when we idolize and empower our sin, we're only seeing one part of the plan of God. And You believe that your little time frame of what you call life that God calls a vapor is more powerful than his eternal existence, and the thoughts that he thought about you before you even got here outnumber anything you could possibly imagine. He had to Moment by moment, frame this entire plan before you ever got here. He thought about you before you even realized he existed. Does it make sense to you? Yes. Okay. This is awesome to me. If it's not awesome to you, you need to get saved. Romans 8.14 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Why? Because God sent forth His Spirit from Christ, who was a son, to eternally secure an inheritance for us. What was the inheritance? The Holy Spirit. The the inheritance was becoming an eternal son, no longer able to be disinherited, no longer ever able to be uh, disassociated with, separated from. Never. Never. The value God places upon you is absolutely immense. Yet we walk around with a spirit of self-pity and self-dejection. Because you don't compare to someone's American definition of what you think life should be like and success. You think you're, you're depraved and, and deprived of, of all good things in life because someone drives a Lamborghini and you drive uh, a, a 1989 Honda Accord. God gave you everything and the fact that you have very little means that you are valued above everything else because in the kingdom less is more, last is first, least is greatest. Loss equals gain. Let me say it this way, not in the Jesus sense, but adoption trumps biological. I mean, this is awesome to me. The Spirit always leads to a place where the flesh will be removed. They are led by the Spirit of God or the sons of God. Why? Because the Spirit drove Jesus to two places in Scripture. Wilderness and the cross. Very good. Why? Because he's sadistic? No, because that's where you lose the part of you that can't gain the inheritance. The troubles, the trials, the tribulations, the fallings, the shortcomings, that when you're facing the devil himself. Why? Because when you face the devil himself, he can only come to collect what's his. He can't collect what's not his. So you know what he comes to collect? He tries to give you the fear, but you just, you give it back. It's not mine. It's yours. And I won't take it because I'm a son. That's what Jesus did in the wilderness, isn't it? You want to give me food? No thanks. I've got food from someone else. You can only come and get what's yours, but you can't have me. This way later on, he says the prince of this world comes and he has what? No place in me. The devil can only give. so give it to him. Give him what the devil? Why is it what Jesus teaches? What does he teach? When 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 you're at, when you're accused in the way what what? Agree with your adversary quickly. Give him what's his. Why? Because it's not you. Well, you're just full of fear. Oh, you, am I? Okay, I agree with that. My flesh is, so therefore you have back what you, what is yours. I owe you fear. Here, take it back. Right? I owe you condemnation. Okay, here, take it back. Rejection and failure, you want it back? Here. I agree. Yeah, these things are of you. They're not of me. Here, take them back. You can only claim what's yours. The cross kills the nature that desires something other than pure sonship. This is why the Spirit of God drives you there. Because the cross can only kill the thing inside of you that can't inherit the things of heaven. Some of y'all are going to have to go back and listen again. So, to be fully operative in the Spirit of God, we must have first fully operated in the removal of what hinders him. The cross is the solution. But it's not the eternal destiny. The cross is just a momentary resurrection and adoption is the plan. Jesus, for the joy that set up before me, he endured the cross, he despised it, saying, why, but what was the joy set before him? Resurrection. You and I. Adoption. That was the plan. That was the joy. Sons coming back to the Father because of one son in human flesh, redeeming what Adam did. Amen. Because what was lost in flesh had to be redeemed in flesh, but it had to be redeemed by flesh that was perfect, and we were never designed to be perfect, and God knew it, but Jesus as the only begotten son was designed to be perfect because he wasn't designed. And therefore, he can hold something with never able to lose it again, which means he secures something for us in the adoption, which we become sons just like him, unable to lose our inheritance, just like Jesus. This is the plan. Without sin, though, you have no ability to be separated, and your separation is what brings your eternal unity. Does this make sense to you? Verse 15, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. That's the only thing the devil can do is bind up what Jesus loosed to set free. You know why fear is dangerous? Because it chains your true identity when you believe it. Fear chains your ability to love. And when it stops your ability to love... You can't love God or you can't love man. and You can't love each other and you can't love yourself. Fear is worship of the power of darkness. And it keeps you from loving yourself whom God desperately loves. And when you, love, when you hate what God loves, you're at enmity with God. If you hate yourself and God loves you, there is a division because Jesus did not hate himself. And the reason you hate yourself is because you're defining yourself by your failures instead of your adoption. Did you hear what I said?
1: Yes. You're
0: defining yourself by your failures instead of your adoption. Amen. A father chooses to adopt a son. He doesn't bring that son into the house because he hates the son. He brings that son into the house because he's for the son. Even if the son's not for himself, he is for the son. And I've said this over and over again. When, you, when, a, when, a, when a family adopts a child, the family loves the child more than the child loves the family. But over time, as if the family's right, if the family's in love with the Lord, over time, the child begins to love the family because of the love that came to them. And in time, the child loves the family as much as the family loves the child. And this is exactly what happened. God adopts us, and when we come into this adoption, he loves us more than we love him. And while we're living in his house, we're having to understand his rules, and his rules are always in love. And what he's trying to do is prove to us, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then you still come in with that rejection mentality because you were, you were put up for, up for adoption. Nobody wants me. Everybody hates me. You're going to reject me too. You're not really for me. You're just here for this or that. And we have all these ideas about God that we, we, we believe about ourselves, but we'll never say it out loud because that, that, that makes us look unspiritual. Amen. But we feel that way. Yes, you do. Right? Because it's important to look spiritual. You're only lying to yourself. That's it. God's not condensed. You think your religion impresses him? No, He doesn't care about your religion or your theology. You're wrong. Let me just say that. So am I. We're all wrong. When we get there, he's going to look at us and say, you were all wrong. That's why I told you to love one another. You've not received the spirit of bondage to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. Where will I be? we cry, Abba, Father? So there's two categories here in verse 15. There's slave and son. Slave to fear. Adopted through love. You know that word? Where's the, where's the verse? 15. You know what that word adoption comes from? So amazing. How many of you guys were here from the Technon Weos um, service? Okay. Y'all are gonna make me have to go back over that for everybody else who wasn't here. I told y'all listen to it. Not my fault. All right? Technon. It means the word son in the Bible. John 1:12. As many have believed on him, he gave them power to become the sons of God. That word in the Greek is technon, it means immature, weak, dependent baby. Later on, Matthew 3:4, where Jesus Baptized, father says, "This is my beloved son." It's the same word; it's a Greek word, but it means "weos," a different word, a different different meaning. It means fully mature son. With me? Yep. That's the intention. In Revelation twenty, God says, "In the very end, I will be your God, and you will be my son." He doesn't use the word "technon." He uses the word weos, which means you're supposed to grow, and if you don't grow, you're not going to make it, even if you claim to be a son, because sons grow. Sons that don't grow have a problem. You with me? Yes. Sons that don't grow can't fully obtain the inheritance. But this is the word, verse 15. You know what that word adoption means? You know what its root word is? It's very close. It's, in fact, it starts with this. Weos. That's what the word means. Verse 15. You have not received the spirit of bondage to fear, but you've received the spirit of weos. And this is how you call out to Father. Let me just say it this way if you're praying out of any other spirit than the spirit of weos, then you're not crying out to Father. You're crying out and complaining. It takes the spirit of a son to cry to the spirit of the Father. And if you're praying like a slave, don't expect to receive anything that you're, that you're asking for. Because you aren't given the spirit of bondage. You aren't given the spirit of slavery. Jesus says a slave doesn't know what his master does, but a son does. And just because you put in Jesus' name at the end of your prayers doesn't mean you're praying to Father. You cry to Father by the spirit of weos. The spirit of a son cries out to Father because it can. Do you understand what I'm saying? Any other way you cry out to God cannot be heard. People cry out to God all over the earth, but they're, they're, they're praying to lots of different types of gods. God can be addressed as one through the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And this is the spirit by which we have to pray and cry to him. Because the the plan is adoption or weos. The plan is sonship. The plan is not anything other than adoption. Is this making sense? So that word adoption comes from the word weos. Son. Fully mature son. Romans 8.16 The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit because they're the same. In other words, the spirit of Christ is the same spirit that I'm made of. The same spirit that birthed him and made him a son is the same spirit that birthed me and made me a son. In God's mind, there's no difference. So why is there one in yours? I'll tell you why there's one in yours. Because you're willingly choosing to live in things and involve yourself in things that a son wouldn't do. And then that becomes your focus. Instead of the plan of God to be adopted and to come into his reality and, and to thank him for everything that's gone wrong in your life and everything that you do wrong, and everything you've you've screwed up because it brings you to him. I'm not going to go into it, but I preach a sermon. You guys remember the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? Let me ask you a question. How did she find Jesus? Because she was so pious and holy and religious and seeking him. You know what brought him to her feet? Brought her to his feet? Her sin. Amazing, huh? That God can use sin to bring us to him. In fact, how did you get to Jesus? And then you're worried about the things that, that you do wrong? Let me tell you something. The things that you do wrong, if you have a heart for God, you know where they're going to lead you? Right back to him. I'm just telling you, it's going to bring you there. That's why some of you are here. And if we're children, then we're what? You got it up there? What's the next verse? If we're children, we're heirs. What is an heir? Tell me what an heir is. Yes, someone who inherits an inheritance, someone who receives an inheritance. You with me? If we're heirs, heirs of who? Of God. What does God own? What do you own? Then why do you act like you are full of lack? Why do you pray like you're a beggar? Because you don't believe who you are. See, people tell you, well, you don't believe who God is. The problem is you you do believe who God is. You just don't believe who you are. Somebody tell you, well, you just don't believe who God is in your life. No, you do believe it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be saved. The problem is you don't believe who you are. That's the big problem. You identify with the nature he died to eradicate. And so when you bring that nature before him in a beggarly way, asking him to bless it, he's going to say, I don't know who that is. This is why Matthew 7 makes more sense when he says, I don't know you. All these people that did all these great things. Because power isn't the issue. Adoption is. Healed people still die. But we'll run and pack houses for a man who can heal the sick. But he can't confirm your identity. Because Jesus knows the nature. And when you stand and you know who he is, you know who you are. He's going to look at you and go, I know you. You're adopted in your mind. You look just like me. And you say, thank you. I appreciate that. I believed it my whole life. Every lie that ever came, I rejected it because it told me I wasn't like you, but I believed what you said. You realize the criteria isn't saving souls and getting people healed and raising the dead. The criteria is you coming into the fullness of your adoption. People say, "Well, I know Jesus." That's not the criteria. The criteria is, does He know you? Because He is not familiar with flesh. He had His crucified. He expects the same of us. This makes sense. This is the gospel. This is the plan of God from all the ages of generations past. Everything from Genesis, Genesis Revelation was, was, is summed up in this, in, this, in this sermons that I've been preaching the last few weeks. It's the intention of God. There is no other intention but this intention. The restoration of family. The establishment of sonship so that they can gain an inheritance. Why? Because when we gain our inheritance, he is glorified. Okay, so if we're an heir... He says, it says, it says we're word error if, if we also suffer with him. Why? Because in the suffering, we lose the thing that can't inherit. There's a big if at the, at the end of that. If indeed we suffer with him so that we might also be glorified with him. He wants to share his glory. People say, oh, you can't touch the glory of God. No, you can't. You can't touch the glory in the God, of God in the sense of you trying to manipulate God and push God where you think you want him to be like, like Uzzah did. That's not what. No, but he, he says that we're we'll to be glorified with him together. That's what Jesus says. This is what Paul says. Now we're, we're, we're to share in his glory. Does it mean we claim it? Does it mean we think it's ours? Does it mean we think we're, we're capital G God? Absolutely not. But just the same way a father wants to share his life with a son, God wants to share his life with you. In fact, he can't be glorified unless he has a people to be glorified through. Because if we didn't exist, where would his glory be shown? Who would see it? No one. Therefore, it might as well not even be present doesn't matter how great something is. If people can't see that greatness, it might as well not even exist. Yes, indeed. True or not? True. This is why he wants to show his glory through us. Because he wants to share in his power and his life with us. He wants us to inherit. And we have a problem now here. This is the part two I, was gonna, I told you I was going to share about. We have a problem. See, God's infinite eternal plan is, is, has a conundrum now. Because God operates legally. Has, you ever heard him called the judge of all nations? He's the judge. He's the righteous judge. And people say, oh, he's the only one that can judge me. And that should scare you. And people flippantly put that on t-shirts. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, he's holy. He's never had one evil thought enter his head. And you want to be judged by him? Listen, you'd be a whole lot better to be judged by me. I promise you that. Because he has no mercy outside of his blood. In his blood, his mercy endures for forever. But those who are not under his blood will receive his wrath for eternity. Because the flesh is not his children, and he will not claim them as his own. Doesn't matter how much that person believes. I use this analogy once. If I'm walking down the mall and all of a sudden this kid, whom I do not know, comes running up to me and says, "Daddy, Daddy, Daddy!" and grabs a hold of my leg, "Daddy, Daddy," I'm looking at this kid going, "Why? Who? Who are you? Can I have twenty dollars? Can I have twenty dollars? Uh, there's something over here in the store I want to buy, Daddy. Could you please give me twenty dollars?" I'm like, kid. Yeah, I don't know who. Who's, I don't know who. Who are you? I've never seen you before. I don't know who you are. Doesn't matter how much that child believes I'm its father. doesn't matter how much you believe it matters how much he knows you've accepted his sacrifice he knows who's his and who isn't it says the bible says in the very end the judge will stand before he'll put the sheep on one hand and the goats on the other both eat the same field eat of the same food live in the same pasture shepherd by the same shepherd but they get divided at the end because one looks like him the other looks like the flesh I mean a lot of church people that have end up in hell. I promise you that. We're gonna get there and go, hey, we're so and so. I don't know. Well they they were always in church. True. It'll happen. Say, well, I believe in God, so do the demons, so do the devils. They believe. They believe probably more than we do. Jesus never rebuked the devil for its unbelief. You with me? Okay, so here God has a problem now. Why? Because uh, if he's going to give an inheritance, God exists legally as a judge. He operates by law and legalism was why he had to send his son to be a propitiation for our sins, to legally separate us from the power of darkness, to legally purchase us on that courtroom floor, to be able to take us back from the powers of darkness and, and gain us as an inheritance. You with me? So that he could give us his. With me? So, in other words, an heir only receives an inheritance after what? After someone dies. How does a God who is life, who is life, how does a God who is life experience death? Because he can't give us an inheritance unless he dies. Do you realize that even though he wanted, the plan was adoption, the plan was inheritance, but now he has a problem? I've got to figure out, as a God of all life, to be. I've got to figure out how to die. I, I can't die. I am eternal. And unless I die, I can't legally give my children an inheritance. Do so you know what your sin did? It gave him the opportunity to become a human and die So that one, you could be redeemed, adopted, and two, he could experience death so the inheritance could be released. The wisdom of God, eternal, to be able to come up with something like this. It took us being human and falling away to be able to get him to release what was pent up in his heart from ages and generations past. He was pregnant with inheritance and he wanted to give somebody something, but he couldn't do it. Unless you say, I don't believe any of that. Well, let me take you to Hebrews chapter 9. Spirit of unbelief. For this cause, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. That by the means of death. That the redemption of the transgressions that we were under, under the first covenant, that they would be, they're called to receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Listen to this, verse 16. For wherever a covenant is, there must also be the death of the testator. Wherever an inheritance is, there has to be the death of the one who owns it. Because a testament or a covenant is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it has no strength and it has no legal authority while the person is living. I can't come and collect my parents' inheritance that they leave for me as long as they're alive. It's not legal. You with me? For where a testament is, there must also be, by necessity, the, the death of the testator. Verse 18, the first covenant was dedicated not without blood. And so the second would also be dedicated with blood, the blood of God. In other words, the inheritance couldn't be released as long as God was technically legally alive. And the devil thought he had him. It's Like, oh, he might be able to redeem him, but he can't give him anything because you can't give something legally unless you're dead and you can't die. I know you. I've been with you for a long time. And God says, I'm going to use the fall of my people to secure my people and to give, my, give me the ability to experience death so I can not only gain them but also release to them what's theirs. And you think your sin's also powerful? Well, I'm just a failure. You you were kind of made that way for a reason, because there's a plan. And your failure brought you to who? Jesus, who fully accepted you in the pit of failure. Why? So he could adopt you, so he could give you an inheritance. If Christians would spend more time meditating on their inheritance than the consequences of their sin, they might experience what actually Jesus meant for us to experience in sonship. In order for God to give us what was ours, He had to die. And He did. And I'll go a step farther. In order for us to experience what is ours, we have to die. And we did. Paul says, don't you know that if you've been crucified with Christ, you've also been raised with him? Why? Because the identity is the resurrection, not the death. But why do you associate more with the death than the resurrection? Because you have an evil heart of unbelief. That's what Jesus called it. So you know what I say, God? Help my unbelief, because you're my father. with me oh my goodness Ephesians 1 14 the Holy Spirit is the down payment to your inheritance how great is the Holy Spirit I mean have you ever felt him I mean he's a he He, he's he's a person he's not a thing he's awesome He's the one that brought you to Jesus. He's the one that moved on your heart. He's the one that makes you cry when the presence of the Lord comes in the room. He's the one that makes you go, I need to change this in my life. And you feel so much better when you do. That's just the down payment of your inheritance. I'll read this real quick. Galatians 4.1 says, Now I'm telling you that an heir, someone who receives the inheritance, as long as he is a child, he's different than nothing but a servant even though he's Lord of all. In other words, even though you have an inheritance, if you're a technon, it doesn't mean anything until you grow up and mature because a child cannot govern the inheritance of the, of the household. It's impossible. They can't. This is why the word adoption means weos because we're supposed to grow up into it. Though they're, though they're a child, even though they're, they're, if they're an heir, even though they're a child, they differ not, nothing from a servant because even though he's a Lord of all, but While he's under tutors, the son is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, we, when we were children of God in bondage and we fell away under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent his son made of a woman, made under the law, made in our image to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of the weos of God so that we can manage the inheritance of heaven. Because your sons, God has sent forth his spirit into your hearts. And that's how you cry, father. And you're no longer a servant. You're no longer a technon. But you're a weos if you're an heir through God, through Christ. You're an heir of everything that Jesus owns. Isn't that amazing, the humility of Jesus, that he doesn't care to share everything that he has with you just like it's yours more than his? Because all he wants to do is, is to be a servant. He's not sitting there trying to claim sonship. When he had the opportunity to claim superiority, you know what he did? He took off his disciples' feet. He took off the shoes of his his brothers and sisters and he said, I'm here. You waited a long time and I'm here. I'm going to show you who I am because you've always wanted to know. I'm a son who serves. I'm showing you what your identity is. You've served me for 6,000 years, and you didn't know who I was. But now I'm here, and I'm going to serve you because I love you. Because I'm about to give you your inheritance. I'm about to go get your inheritance, boys. And when I get up, I'm going to give it all to you because I want you to have. This is the love of Jesus. It's not just that he died for your sins. But he would give you something that you do not deserve. But it's in his heart to give it. Because he's the giver. we are the adopted son? You with me? So when we feel like our shame and our sin has separated us from God, you have to know that the whole time you were being ashamed, that shame was having its work inside of you to bring you back to where your heart longed to be. Adoption was not the reaction of God. It was his eternal attention. So when you pray, pray like a son, which means you don't pray from a spirit of reaction you pray from the plan something nails you a bad situation something that hurts you something that surprises you something that steals something from you you don't go and run to God and scream and wail and cry you pray from the plan God I don't know what it is this really hurts but I know you have a purpose nothing takes you by surprise So I'm asking that you take this horrible situation and you make it bring me and everybody involved to the feet of Jesus the way you did for me in the beginning. And I release that to you. And I'm going to wait until I see it happen because I'm a son. You pray from the plan. You pray from the Spirit of God in your heart crying, Abba, Father, you know who He is. You know his natures, therefore you know he's faithful to cry out to you. And you know that because you're a son, he cannot deny you. Because you only ask the things of his will. Just stand up for me. I just want you to lift your hands if this touched you in any way. If it didn't, that's fine. I just want you to say just in your own mind and as I'm as I'm saying this, just say, Father, I'm asking you to forgive me for giving power to the spirit of unbelief for not trusting your plan for my life, for not trusting your plan for my marriage, for not trusting your plan for my children, for my finances, all of which are yours anyway. And I'm asking you to let me see. I'm asking you to teach me and speak to me your plan for my life. And I thank you and I rejoice in the spirit of adoption that you've released over me and I willingly receive it now. And I'm no longer going to hide in the shadows of my sin. I'm going to come to the light of your grace that you chose me. And I'm going to open my hands and receive the inheritance of God. Teach me how to glorify you. Teach me how to run the kingdom. Teach me how to be efficient with what is yours. Make me be Jesus, a son to someone else, calling others home where they belong, regardless of the sin that I see in their life. I bless you, Father, and I thank you. Bless your children here, those who have their hands raised and their hearts open to you. Open their spirits to receive more, more grace, more vision. Father, we love you. We bless you. You are eternally God. You are a king, and your love goes so much farther than we ever realize. And I pray with Paul as I close, Lord, that we might know the love of God, which passes knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.